You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Chuck Marone. Welcome back to the Strong Towns podcast. At Strong Towns, one of our core campaigns, one of our priority campaigns is to end highway expansions. And we talk about uh, the fact that we don't have the money to maintain all the highways that we have built. We talk about the destructive nature of highway expansions, just the distracting nature of them in and of themselves. But one of the more egregious ones that I've ever run into, that I've ever had anything to do with is the I-35 project through Austin, Texas. Uh, There've been a lot of good people fighting that one for a long time. And I've got a couple of of the best ones here. We've got some exciting news if you have not heard, and I'm gonna let them announce it as we go on here. But let me welcome to the podcast first, Adam Greenfield. Adam from Austin, Texas, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, great to be with you, Chuck. Nice to chat with you again. And then Bobby Levinsky. Bobby, are you also from Austin? I, I work in Austin. Um, I actually live in an adjacent community called San Marcos. Oh, but, I know uh, San Marcos. Save our springs. We cover the Austin area as well as the Texas Hill Country. I know San Marcos really well. So it's a beautiful city. Thank you for being here as well. Adam, if we could turn to you first. I am baffled at the, uh, the I-35 project in and of itself. Can you maybe just for the, the, the people who are listening who are not familiar with Austin, not familiar with this project, can you give us the big picture overview of what's being planned here by what is a bankrupt and insolvent DOT? I mean, let's just start off. TxDOT is one of the kind of country's worst in terms of continual budget shortfalls uh, for transportation funding. What are, what are they trying to do through your city? Interstate 35 through through Austin, you know, it's a, it's a highway that goes from Mexico to Canada, or if you're coming from Canada, from Canada to Mexico. Do you know, Adam, that it goes right through, I mean, Minnesota is, uh, yeah, 35 runs right through the heart of my state. So we, we're connected we are, that way. We're siblings, Chuck. We're, I, <laughs> we are. <laughs> we're the siblings who never wanted to be siblings. That's true. When the interstate was built through Austin, uh, it was finished in 1962, and it was built on what had previously been used as a racial segregation line. It used to be called East Avenue. Um, And starting in the 20s, people and communities of color were highly pressured, (laughs) to put it mildly, by by the city to move uh, east of that racial dividing line. And then in 1962, the highway was was finished through it. That highway really had um, incredibly toxic effects on, on the commercial, the local commercial businesses nearby and really accomplished <laughs> the goal of, of segregation and, and still does to this day. You know, we're now in 2024. Uh, for quite some time, there's been talk about redoing I-35. This kind of infrastructure, you know, has a has a lifespan and, and there's a perception that the lifespan of this particular facility is is coming to an end and it needs to be replaced. I think almost everybody agrees who's been active in this conversation that 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 we need to do something about this this facility. You know, I'll point out the 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 obvious to many to many of your audience members, Chuck. But you know, I, I, 
the, the highway through Austin is incredibly dangerous. A, a quarter of people in Austin city limits who are killed and seriously injured in a vehicular incident uh, that happens on, on I-35. There's, there's major air pollution, water pollution, uh, noise pollution. I, I live three blocks from I-35 and, and my, I can hear I-35 in bed at night and it's, it just blankets the neighborhood in this incredibly unpleasant veneer 24 hours a day. It, it feels like a great crime. And so in spite of all that, you know, in a highway that people uh, almost universally detest, uh, the Texas Department of Transportation is proposing widening uh, 28 miles of it all the way through Austin, and they've broken the project up into three segments. The central portion is the most controversial portion. It's about eight miles long. And the proposal is basically to double the roughly double the number of lane miles through the city, bringing about 130,000 extra cars every day through Austin, according to TxDOT's own um, studies. So we can get get into the impacts more, but it's just, you know, th this is very much a project that belongs to the era of um, urban renewal and, and should have ended there. It should never have begun, but but here we are still fighting these projects today. You think we had learned our lesson. Can we give a, I know the dollar amount has changed a lot over time. We're talking like 10 billion. Do you know what the number is now, the latest number? You know, as I said, they've broken this project up into three portions and conveniently makes it easier to get some of those portions through environmental review. That's that's great, TechStock. Congratulations. Sure. The central portion alone, TechStock is estimating $4.9 billion. Most of us at this point have gotten used to when we go into a store and we see a product for $49.99. We we round it up to $50 in our minds, but TechStot's still playing that same trick with us. So, And I'll note as well that that estimate is the same now as it was before the pandemic. And sure. there is no way that it's going to cost the same after the pandemic as it did before. And then we, we have you know the projects not to the north and south as well. Um, adding all that up, it's well over six billion in TechStot's estimates, but I think few people involved in these conversations really believe those numbers. You have been working for a long time to, you put it in your own words, I was going to say, slow, stop, redirect, reimagine what this project would be like. Can you talk about your efforts a little bit? And then I want to switch over to Bobby and, and chat a little bit about what you've what you've got going on now. I led the founding of, of Rethink 35 um, back in 2020 to really challenge this, this highway expansion and push for something else. Um, at that time, everyone hated I-35 as they do today, but I think it was just commonly seen as an inevitability that the highway was going to be there and would always be there, and, and that wasn't really questioned. One of our main roles initially was just to give people hope and and broaden people's imaginations that actually the built environment is the result of decisions and we can make different decisions and we can take a very different course. I-35 and at least 14 other Texas towns and cities goes around the city center and not through it. And so that was one of the first things, it's been talked about here for a long time, but that was one of the first things that we started to put out there again and again and again for people to consider 
And we also have a lot of precedent for removing highways through through our city centers. And no freeway removal has ever failed. Everyone has been a huge success by every single metric. So a lot of it has been to, to normalize these ideas, to, to build power among the community, local businesses, local organizations. When we felt like we had reached a critical mass of that, of that buy-in, then we felt we were really able to engage with elected officials more. Um, I sincerely believe that a strong majority of local officials oppose expanding this highway, oppose expanding highways in general, um, however, for them to stick their necks out, they they need to see that it's worth them doing that and worth spending that political capital on. And that's just a fact that we we have to accept. And, you know, we've had remarkable success in in bringing the the community power that we built to elected officials and having them take a stronger stance on this on this project. You know, I think the theory of of change that, stands out to me as as key to success here is is the chorus effect which is residents businesses organizations are screaming the elected officials are screaming the media is hostile to this expansion project everywhere you look it's just this roar of opposition to this harmful corrosive idea and 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 great enthusiasm to to turn the corner after you know 80 years of of these kind of projects and and to do something new and we're starting to see that chorus effect there and for me it's really you know it's like turning a ship around we're trying to turn the ship around on an industrial complex that is is bad for economics it's bad for the economy and and bad for people's health and and bad for livability and so much more and we're turning that ship around. Hopefully we can turn that ship around in time to stop this expansion for I-35. But as soon as we can turn the ship around is when we turn the ship around. I've watched you have a kind of parade of local leaders step up to the mic and speak quite forcefully on this. And it does feel like if not the tide is turning, like certainly you're not a crazy radical anymore to stand up and say, this is wrong. This shouldn't happen. I mean, is that a, is that a fair, like you're seeing more and more kind of mainstream people say this highway should not have been built through the middle of the city. It certainly should not be expanded. Absolutely. When one of our council members, Zoe Kadri, uh last fall said at one of our press conferences that building I-35 through central Austin was one of the greatest mistakes our city ever made. For me, that was that was a turning point. When an elected official speaks in such definite terms like that, you're seeing the beginning of a shift. And, you know, I, I'll be honest, we still have a ways to go. We, we still need to bring more elected officials um, on board and have the ones that have spoken up speak even more strongly. But I don't think anyone would have expected two years ago that we've had the kind of success that we have. Um, and, and we're seeing, you know, candidates for office now locally take this issue up as something that that they see as a as a as a vote getter. And um, I don't blame them for seeing it that way. This is a popular cause. Bobby, it feels like we have reached a point now. I'm holding off making the announcement that you guys made last last week to allow you to to talk a little bit about it. But it, it does feel like certain things now have opened up that maybe you didn't have the credibility to do a year ago, two years ago, five years ago. Can you talk a little bit about 
the two fronts that you've opened up in this discussion? I'm Bobby Levinsky. I'm an attorney with the Save Our Springs Alliance. Um, and so we're a local environmental group that gives a legal arm to the environment. So I preface that to say that we have been working with Rethink 35 um, and the coalition that Adam uh, and Miriam and all the Rethink volunteers have uh, brought to the table to file federal suit on I-35. We are bringing a challenge under the National Environmental Policy Act, the NEPA, um, as it's referred to. At this point, we've met that deadline that we had a deadline of late January. We met that. So we're just now filed. And there's two fronts that we're actually pursuing this. So to really, I think Adam's kind of spoken to a part of this, but we really feel it's impossible to talk about the environmental impacts about this project without talking also about the environmental justice issues as well. Both the National Environmental Policy Act and the Civil Rights Act were put into effect after the original construction of I-35. So I-35 and its impacts on on the community for six decades hasn't really been challenged legally. Um, And so I think that's what this is going to really bring to the table is how can we make sure that the environmental justice concerns and the environmental concerns are properly addressed by the federal government here in a way that has not been done previously. So we are pursuing actually two actions for this NEPA case that I just uh, mentioned, but we're also bringing forward a an administrative complaint we filed with the United States Department of Transportation in their Civil Rights Division, complaining about the intentional discrimination that's associated with this project and the impact on communities of color. TxDOT knows better. And I think that's really what we're trying to, to highlight here is we have six decades of data showing the disparate impacts on health, on economic um, prosperity in these communities. TxDOT's just expanding on it by reinforcing the segregation that's that's predated for six decades and even before that, back dating back to Austin's 1928 plan, which Adam mentioned, actually used the path of I-35 as the dividing line for segregation. And if you look at current uh, demographic data, those patterns still exist. I, I, East Austin is still um, predominantly minority, and West Austin is still predominantly white. And that has to stop at some point. We know better. We have to figure out a way to, to heal the communities, to restore the previous damage before expanding upon it with this project. So we're taking a, a two-front approach. We've got the SNEPA lawsuit, which will be proceed with its own deadlines, but also trying to get the United States Department of Transportation to intervene um, in a way that they haven't yet. I don't want to jump too far into the discussion, but you know, one of the problems here is NEPA has been delegated to the racist state of Texas. Um, the federal government has delegated under NEPA statute provisions uh, its authority to not only review the NEPA, but like the process of just doing it, who's involved with it. Texas in control of the entire process from the beginning. And then at the end of it, they get to self-grade saying, we did a good job. And they didn't. Um, the United States Department of Transportation really needs to get involved here. So that way we can reset the clock. Let's talk about the NEPA part. The NEPA lawsuit, why don't you go into your overall strategy with that lawsuit? I think people maybe broadly know that there's an environmental review process, but maybe don't understand things like uh, public comment and the deadline and what that appeal looks like. Can you just walk us through kind of how you got to this point and then what the decision was that 
the remedy here is a legal remedy? So NEPA essentially requires the a federal agency to take a hard look at the foreseeable environmental consequences of a federal project. I-35 is a federal project. TxDOT here is acting as a federal agency. They're required to comply with NEPA, and I think they even conceded that. They followed somewhat the public process. This uh, Keep in mind, this hit during COVID, so a lot of the process that occurred for this project happened when people were distracted by some pretty big things in their lives. Sure. Um, and a lot of the in-person meetings that could have occurred did not occur during this process. So a lot of virtual um, reliance, but they issued their draft EIS back in sorry, their environmental impact statement. They're required to make a statement that that outlines their the environmental impacts of the project. So they issued their draft EIS back in December of 2022. They had a, a public hearing that's required in February of 2023. And one of the things that kind of occurred here that that's, that's odd is they changed the project after the draft EIS by moving some of the stormwater equipment that would dump this, the polluted stormwater into a pristine area of the Colorado River. It's a different Colorado River for national listeners. It's a local Colorado River, but it's still a very important uh, river for uh, drinking water purposes in our community. Um, City of Austin draws its water from the Colorado River. Downstream communities draw its water from the Colorado River. This is one of the free flowing sections of that of that river where it's got a really great ecological value um, for species, some really unique species that are native to Texas, including some mussels and some fish species. But that change of the project did not have another public process component. They just issued their final EIS in August without another opportunity for public comment, without another public hearing. They've spent $8 million doing this EIS when really they had a predetermined outcome. They didn't want public input. We had somebody in our coalition review all the comments that were um, listed in their appendix for the EIS, and they gave original responses to less than 1% of public comments. They truly were not interested in what the public had to say about this. Their own data um, showed, which ironically, they didn't release the results of the, um, the public hearing to the Texas Transportation Commission, which has to oversee the project until December of 2023, after they already did the record of decision. So again, they truly didn't care about what the, the results were. Um, but the result of that was they had 75% of people who participated in that public hearing process either expressed concern or outright opposed the project with the majority opposing the project. They had less than 25% approval for this project moving forward. They have so many communities that we have now joined on as our co-plaintiffs, um, just this groups that represent urbanist interests, traditional neighborhood interests, environmental justice interests. It is a coalition that is almost unprecedented in Austin politics for the last 15 years that I've been involved. And TxDOT still has the audacity to say that it is a community-sponsored, community-supported project. So we got here because TxDOT ignored us through the process. TxDOT ignored the communities, ignored the elected officials. So our only remedy here is to meet the NEPA deadline, which was 180 days after our it's actually less than that, but uh, a few months right after the um, the record of decision from fall 
Um, it, they have a deadline in January that we met. We are just exploring the avenue that's available to us because it's really our backs are against the wall and this is now or never. We have to uh, pursue those remedies. Let me pause here for a second and ask, Adam, I, I do think that Bobby raises a very important point that I think a lot of people will commiserate with, and that is the idea of being heard. And I feel like you've been on the front line of this for a long time. I know there's a sense that you get of like just shouting into the void. What is that feeling of being ignored like? And I mean, how is it kind of expressed in this? Because I, I, it's not just you being ignored. There's a whole lot of people here who have stepped up and said things. And this process that we have created to review things and take public input, how perfunctory has that been for you? Well, it, for me, it's frustrating for, for the communities who have felt ignored for decades and decades. I, I can't even imagine you know, there's all these public public comment, public input opportunities that, that TechStot take, has taken people on walks around the highway, and they've had community meetings at coffee shops, and they have open house meetings, and they've had all these things. And it very much, the experience for, for the participants is very much that TechStot is ticking the boxes. Recently, I came across a... Um, a depiction of a uh, possible future for I-35 from 1994. And it's a depressed, sunken highway that looks eerily similar to the one that TechStot is proposing here in 2024. And there's so many clues that they give all the time. I mean, they're in, in, in public meetings, they're often very open that we've long wanted to expand the highway. And here we are. And then they turn around and they say, we're listening to, we're accepting public comment. One of the fascinating things about being involved with this campaign is getting to know all the ways that the DOT, you know, manipulates the process, um, manipulates um, elected officials into getting what they want. Lawyers we've worked with in the past, um, community organizers, elected officials, occasionally will tell us, yeah, you know, TechStot, you know, if, if they feel like the, the opinion isn't where it should, they'll bring in elected officials from the neighboring town that supports this project and that kind of thing. It's incredibly disheartening because, you know, I think we all aspire to having a government that that cares about us and, and looks after us. And I know for many people who felt oppressed by the government for decades, that that sounds laughable. But it very much should be something that we aspire to. And yet here we are in the 21st century still fighting these um, incredibly destructive projects. And it's just it's just a shame. Yeah. Bobby, the resort here with the NEPA decision now is to appeal it. What is that process? How does this how does this go forward from here? And what's the case that you're actually making? So. Oh. It's going into the United States um, Western District Federal Court. So we will be. So it'll be a federal court. Get, it's federal court. We're trying to get yep. the judge in, in that case to essentially nullify the director decision and say that they TechSot has to go back to the drawing table, go back and reset the process because you mm -hmm. did not satisfy your requirements to look, take a hard look at all the environmental consequences of the project. One of the things that you said is that. TechStot is checking the boxes. And I know when we get into the legal type of arguments, a lot of the, I wish this would happen and I wish that would happen 
doesn't have much legal sway. Is a core of your argument that they didn't check a box? I mean, is that basically? Yeah, that's it. So to be successful in a NEPA uh, lawsuit nowadays, it's actually, it's fairly difficult. I mean, I think we understand that we are, have a long road to climb here. Yeah. What we've tried to focus on, and we could complain about all sorts of the environmental impacts of the project um, and disagree with the TxDOT's ultimate decision, but the, the key of NEPA is it's a procedural statute. So we have to prove up that they did not take a look at certain environmental consequences of the project um, that were required um, to, that they were required to do. Um, one of the um, kind of problems with the textile having the authority here is that they get to kind of characterize the facts and have their own different ways of, of explaining things that don't necessarily match up to science. Yeah, they're um, grading their own papers. <laughs> yeah, yeah they're, they're grading their own papers. So, and that's what's why we're trying to get the US DOT to get more involved here. And um, it's, we have actually, um, through the civil rights um, uh, administrative complaint, asked for them to remove this delegation because it makes absolutely no sense. Um, but so what we focused on um, were what we felt were the most obvious, easiest to prove elements of the highway construction project that um, TxDOT clearly just completely either ignored the science or did not do their due diligence that they're required to do. And, you know, when you're looking at a highway project, you're looking at air quality, you're looking at water quality from the stormwater runoff and impacts to parkland. And those are the three elements that we brought to the table here with this lawsuit. For air quality, they did the baseline of what what they believe the science is, but it doesn't match up to what the federal government has given guidance on. For an example, for particulate matter 2.5, which is known to have serious consequences on people with respiratory diseases and chronic illnesses such as asthma, they did not do the analysis that would show the environmental health risk associated with the environmental justice populations that they're they're putting this project in. It's directly counter to the guidance that the Environmental Protection Agency put forward just last year saying, if you're going to build a project in an environmental justice population, you have to take into account PM 2.5. Um, it's going to actually bring our attainment um, levels out of the federal guidelines. So it's actually got a huge imp- impact to the Austin region because it's going to affect our transportation dollars moving forward. That's what the city of Austin, you know, Adam mentioned that our elected officials were getting involved. One of the major issues that the city of Austin raised after the federal record of decision was released was that these air quality models weren't done properly and that we have existing emission studies that are going on at a regional level that TxDOT, if they could just hold off for two years or, or even less than that, we can get these studies done and make project modifications that could truly improve the project. Um, I don't think anybody wants to see 35 state the way it is. I think what we want to see is a, an improved project that takes into account the past damage, and that includes air quality. Um, the water quality I mentioned with that stormwater outfall, after they moved that that outfall, they didn't do any field study. The last field study they did in that area was July of 2021. So it's like three-year-old data. And even worse than that, for some of the species analysis that they're using, it's it's predated to another project that's almost, uh, it's over 10 years old. So they weren't taking a hard look if they're not even able to get out of their cars and go visit the sites of the, where they're going to be putting the impact in. Um, and then there's also some parkland impact that that we're hopeful that we can get some attention from the federal government too, because they also highlighted that they weren't complying with parkland mitigation um, that's associated with the river. But those are the three elements. It's, it's air quality, it's water quality, and parkland impact. 
Yep. Yep. Okay. Simultaneous with this federal NEPA lawsuit, you also have, you mentioned the civil rights action. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and 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 the strategy there? Did I understand that you're trying to get the federal government to say TxDOT can't grade their own homework anymore? Yes. Uh, so with the civil rights action, so NEPA is largely procedural uh, in the way that, you know, I'm not a civil rights attorney, but I'm, I'm working with some experts in the field trying to get get them more involved with it and give, give us guidance as we move forward through this process. But Civil Rights Act says you cannot use federal funds to discriminate. And right. so this this issue got raised in Houston as well um, with their expansion of I-45. So to some extent, we're, we're learning from that process that they um, they went through in, in raising those com- those concerns here. But in Austin, to kind of just kind of go back quickly over some of the history here, as Adam mentioned, when the 1928 plan was um, established in Austin, it created this district in East Austin known as the Negro District. And it, it literally says in the plan itself that they're trying to put Black-only services in East Austin to attract Blacks to that area only. And then from, from that, uh, we've had, we had redlining practices that excluded Black and Latino families from white neighborhoods. We had official city policies that had the same uh, impacts to that I-35 started to be used as this barrier line between East and West Austin to to form different re- regulations that apply to one part of the city, but not to another. And then when some of those policies started to be eroded by the courts, such as redlining, which was ruled unconstitutional in the late, I think, 1948. After that, in that 1950s era, that's when they started to build the inter- interstate systems, the highways, um, and Austin actually literally two years after that redlining decision started the planning to, to turn East Avenue, which was a 200 foot wide boulevard that had landscaping into the nightmare that exists today. And so when they did that, that really put that physical barrier in there, securing the next 62 years of racism and, and impacts to communities of color. And so the Administrative complaint raises, we know what happened. We know that was intentional discrimination. We know the impacts that resulted from that. You acknowledge even in your own EIS, in your in your record of decision, that this highway expansion is having disparate impacts on communities of color. So you have an obligation here to not make that decision that is going to just expand upon and reinforce the intentional discrimination that existed then because that act is also intentionally discriminatory if you know better and you still do it Mm -hmm. and so that's why we're raising that to the federal government because honestly i don't think that they've really understood that or they haven't been involved in that conversation because with our our coalition and and then and the the comments that have been received from the community that is fairly well understood in Austin. And to not have the federal government here intervene and allow TxDOT to act on its own authority and to do this discrimination, that is also just completely unjust. So yeah. we're trying and we, we believe that if we raise enough attention, the current administration who has the authority to rescind the authority, to rescind the delegation authority, will intervene. And so that's why the actual the complaint itself, it's 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 um 
preceded by a letter to uh, Secretary Buttigieg saying, Secretary Buttigieg, please help Austin here. We need your help. This is why you ran for office to to help people. And it's now or never. We This is your opportunity to really make an impact that would have m- avoid another six decades of discrimination yeah. in Austin. It does seem like, and not to you know, get too deep into the the politics of this, but I realize that there is some, you know, whenever you're spending billions of dollars on a transportation project like this, there's a there's there's politics and back scratching and all this that comes in. If we take this administration at their word, this is the exact kind of project they said would not happen again. I mean, is that a fair from your vantage point? I think it is fair. I think the one caveat that I hear to to give the current administration some some credit here, the delegated authority to TxDOT happened under prior administrations. Mm-hmm. Sure. So sure. this five-year window that they have authority from the US, uh, United States Department of Transportation to act on its behalf, it actually expires this year in December of, uh, of 2024. So we not only need them to really understand that this project is horrible, but this will continue to happen if they don't intervene. This is the year to intervene because they have the authority to stop this trend. This is a horrible trend for NEPA that it started in Texas and it needs to end in Texas. Okay. Interesting. I was not aware of that. I think Minnesota has this too, but maybe we're a touch more responsible at times. So the federal government- There were, there were six original five states year... and Minnesota was one. Okay. So for the federal government for five years delegated NEPA authority to TxDOT. And you're saying that expires at the end of this year? So the way that the statute works is they've got a five-year authority, and then if it gets renewed, they get another 10 years. Okay. So at the end of this year, if the United States Department of Transportation chooses to extend this authority, we're stuck with it for another 10 years. Okay. And this authority is, you know, TxDOT gets to grade their own homework on the environmental stuff. It originates from this policy that we just need to get projects moving, get get them on the ground, right. and uh, you know, mm-hmm. and it when you do that, when you shortcut, that's what your consequences is, is. Is the people that don't have a voice, and yeah, um, if you leave it to the state of Texas, they're not going to care about what East Austin says. Sure, sure. Well, we certainly see that that TxDOT is, you know, motivated by other things than sentiment on the ground. How much of this project, and maybe this is a question for you, Adam, I don't, I don't know which one of you, how much of this project is a state funding issue and how much of it is a, a federal funding issue? I mean, it also seems like as you're working multiple fronts, I go back to the, the idea that you know spending billions of dollars that nobody seems to have expanding a, a highway, is this money that the federal government is allocating? Is this money that the state government's allocating? Is there a bit of both? Is the city being asked to tap in here? Where's the, where's the revenue for this coming from? This is a federal funded project. Where city funding comes in is a highly contentious issue because TxDOT has told the city that if you want to ameliorate some of the, the, the impacts of this project, you can cap portions, small portions of the highway and place maybe some buildings, maybe some parks on top, but you have to pay for it. And um, previous elected representatives have confidentially told me that they're extremely upset 
um, because for them, uh, the caps were always should should be considered part of the project because they are addressing some of the impacts. But but TechStart has not behaved that way. They have told us if if you want to address the impacts of this highway, you have to pay for it and you have to maintain it at the cost of millions and millions of dollars every year which i think you know most people see as as completely un- unreasonable and then this is just a, to, to be clear ameliorating a small portion of the impacts not the right car dependency crashes induced sprawl you know pollution and so forth right right i want to ask you adam to talk about the kind of long game here it does feel like a little bit you're forced into a delaying action. Like this lawsuit is in a sense, asking them to check boxes that they haven't checked. If we get the federal courts to rule in your favor, they're gonna go back and go through a perfunctory process again and not listen to you, but check those boxes and then go forward. What is the end game here that you're hoping for? What what is the, the strategy that this in a sense buys you access to? The lawsuit is incredibly valuable in in more ways than just a a hopefully favorable determination from a judge. Just filing the lawsuit has been incredibly powerful. People across Austin know about this lawsuit and and it is giving uh, it is manifesting their hopes and dreams that that we are not this kind of people who just lay down and let these kind of things happen. Everywhere I've gone in the just over a week since we filed the lawsuit, everywhere I've gone around town, anyone who knows me has come up to me and mentioned the lawsuit. It has truly given people hope like they've never had before. You know, as Bobby says, it's it's a long, steep, mountainous climb up to um, success here. But a lawsuit is also political. The federal government can and should intervene here. Uh, they need to see elected officials screaming and shouting they need if they see lawsuits they see residents they see businesses they see organizations as as seen before they need to see the whole chorus going on here because ultimately this isn't legal this is political it's not just about i-35 TechStop wants to expand other highways in city limits and outside of city limits one of the really wonderful things about this this movement locally is it's inspired other groups around Texas and and around the country to stand up and and take on their DOTs that are proposing similarly awful projects as well. So it's you know like I said before it's it's turning the ship around and regardless of the outcome of this project we should fight like hell because it's not just about this project it's about all the other ones coming. And we really need to profile and celebrate and elevate the the good projects. You know, Rochester, New York, when it filled in part of its inner loop highway, um, saw a tenfold return on investment within just a few years. And more and more, these these projects that are converting highways into boulevards are seeing the results. And while this isn't just about money, we certainly should care about strong economies, about jobs, about local businesses. And by not pursuing a more progressive, beneficial strategy here, we're we're leaving, I believe, billions of dollars on the table here. You know, we're, we're looking at immense economic benefits from finally addressing 
this toxic legacy of of highways. So it's, you know, if you care about money, you should be on our side because right. because this is this is the good stuff, right? Bobby, you looked like you wanted to say something there, and I I've got another question, but I didn't want to interrupt you. You you go ahead. Well, the only thing I'd, I'd, I'd preface is it's it's not just a delay in the project. I think that the the power of NEPA is it forces the person making the decision to review what the actual environmental impacts are and to disclose that to the public. Because I think it's harder to to accept that you're approving something that you know has these consequences than it is to kind of just push that into an appendix or, or kind of, you know, obscure the fact that you are going to be harming Latino and black communities through the air toxins that you're going to be putting into their neighborhoods. We can be idealistic about it. I feel like in an idealistic way, we're asking the DOT to be honest to themselves. Right. And not just leave it up over to Texas. They have, they have to accept that this is their acquiescence to Texas decision yeah. is an action itself. Right. Maybe that's what I meant. Just that, you know, I in an ideal world, TxDOT is honest with themselves. I think the motivated reasoning that starts with, here's the volume of traffic that we're projecting itself, a very questionable assertion. There go, here's the number of lanes we need. Again, a questionable assertion. And then all these downstream things uh, lead from that. It creates what I would say within organizations like TechStot is kind of culture of ignorance and blindness. And it's sad that the NEPA process is like the the cudgel that you have to ask them to be honest with themselves. But it's almost, I feel like a, a therapy session that you're trying to get TechStot to go to. Like, let, let's, yes, you're TechStot. Uh, welcome to the therapy session. Let's talk about highway expansions, uh, you know, because we almost need an intervention here. And this seems like the only way to to have that. Is that fair, Bobby? I think that's fair. I got to be a little bit careful on what, what I say about text on a personal level, but I, gotcha. I think that they need some therapy. I can say it. You can. <laughs> I, yeah. Can I just add, um, yeah, I, Adam. I know, I know TechStart employees. I know that what programs Likewise. are going on there. Yeah, there are many people at TechStop that that think this project is terrible. I'm going to yes. say it; they can't. Um, yes. There are people at TechStop trying to get you know active transportation statewide plans to exist for the first time. It is clear where the agency is going here. They are headed in the right direction, too slowly, too late, but they are, and there are lots of people who care. And ultimately, you know, TechStop is being told what to do by by high office holders. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things that the community needs to do, um, advocates need to do, is to educate those elected officials that that highway expansions are not the path to the, th- to the goals that they are seeking. Right. Um, this is a discredited, destructive practice, and uh, all the alternatives are, are better in every conceivable way. Well, th- this is what I wanted to, to get to and ask you, because I know you've said you said there are good projects that we could do here. There are good things that we could do. I feel like in chatting with both of you, you know, offline and and here, neither of you are anti-car, anti-transportation, anti-a project here. What does a good project look like for I-35 in Austin? What does a good project that you think, you know, addresses the reasonable needs of TxDOT, but also 
you know, addresses the issues that you are bringing up, that the city's concerned with, that the residents that live three blocks away are concerned with, the good project that would create jobs and tax base and all the stuff that we're we're interested in. What I know it's out there. What does it look like to you? I'll just say that the first of all, it's it's a process. It's that the process needs to be better. And secondly, it's it's what the agency cares about. So in terms of the process, the community should actually have a say here. And it's not just box ticking. People people know when they actually have a say, you know, the, the, just the signs point in that direction. The signs are not pointing in that direction here. So the, the community should be saying, here's what we care about. That's manifest in individual comments from people. It's also manifest in plans that the, you know, democratically elected government has created, such as our, you know, equity plan, our climate resiliency plan, our transportation plan. We have all these plans and the goals in there are are solid and good. But you have to, Adam, no good design for 35 leaves a gash through the middle of the city, right? I mean, I, at the very end of the day, the base design that works is going to be one that actually reconnects this divided city. I mean, is that a, is that a fair statement? Absolutely. We we should be stepping out uphill here and looking down upon this and seeing um, all potential is on the table for what could be done here. One of the proposals that we want to see studied is the idea of local uh, non-local traffic going around town and not through it. And then mm-hmm. once you don't need an interstate highway cleaving up the the, the community in the center, we can convert that into a, a, a more urban boulevard environment with dedicated right of way for public transportation, for walking and biking, some car lanes, more green space, um, buildings that come up to the sidewalk um, that define the public realm, local businesses downstairs, affordable housing upstairs, and critically, the tax revenues that come from this project, a portion of them should be set aside to prevent displacement, gentrification, to fund programs that help narrow and close the socioeconomic divides between communities. TxDOT says that it can only it only cares about traffic. It only cares about moving people. In fact, if it really did care about moving people, then it would still be proposing something other than a highway expansion because right. cars, <laughs> cars are good in, in low density environments, but they don't scale up as a form of mass transportation because they're so space inefficient. And so cars certainly are a part of the puzzle, but we've we've gone way too far in this country with with building around cars and it has been a catastrophic failure and one of the encouraging things that we see today is that more and more people not just young people are waking up to this fact if i could jump in just to add a little color onto the brilliance of the re 35 proposal that was submitted it was one of the alternatives that textot was asked to take a look at and they they largely just dismissed it categorically but the highway in Texas, the highways in Texas, they're kind of like highways next to highways next to highways. This highway is going to be 25 lanes at, across in some areas. Then the service roads that we have, we call them fronted roads um, locally, like those are highways in themselves. So really we're talking about like four highways next to each other that divides East Austin and, 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 and that in the central and West and central Austin. So 
it did Adam and um, his team, they put together this Frogger game that's on their website. It's fun to play yeah. where it shows what it would take to cross the highway. We need solutions that, that don't involve death. I think that's the key here. So yeah. I think that, that that's um, the alternatives that they're, they've proposed are, are much more environmentally friendly, much more um, uh, mobility friendly for everybody involved. Um, and I would encourage people to go to Rethink 35 site to, to see the proposal that they put forward and how reasonable it actually is. It, it, it's occurred to me for decades now. I mean, I've, I've, I've been saying this every time I come to Texas. Texas tries really, really hard to say they're not California. And to point to California and say that that's the dysfunctional state. We're the state that's got it all together. And over and over and over again, and I feel like this I-35 going to 26 lanes. I mean, we could just jet on over to LA and 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 take some observations. Texas has repeatedly been just California on a 20-year delay cycle, particularly when it comes to transportation and, and land use. Let's end with this. You are an inspiration not just to me and strong towns, not just to other people within Austin who I think are stepping up and realizing, hey, we can do something here. But Adam, Bobby, you 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 have been an inspiration to people all over the country. There's lots of cities that are dealing with this. There's lots of cities that are struggling with a DOT that doesn't listen, a review process that is perfunctory, that doesn't listen to people, an outmoded transportation approach that needs to change, to be modernized, to actually focus on cities. There's a lot of people who are listening who want to support you and what you're doing. How do we follow Rethink 35? How do we donate to Rethink 35? How do we help support this lawsuit? Adam, I'm going to maybe ask you, what, what's the best way for people who are inspired by you to show that support and inspiration? Yeah, thanks so much. The, the Easy, go to rethink35.org. Um, there's links on the homepage there to donating to the lawsuit. Uh, there's also a Get Involved page with links to our social media and, and other ways that you can um, get involved. And it you know it can start with an email to to your elected officials. It can start with a donation. It can start with um, interacting with our social media posts. It's so easy to do something right now. And I can tell you, we fight for every supporter. The almost 10,000 people who have signed our, our petition, every one of them is, is precious to us. If you don't live in Austin and you want to participate in your own local freeway fight um, and you, you, you want some advice, please reach out to us, go, go to the website and um, contact us. Um, we've been inspired by other movements like our good friends, Stop Textile I-45 in Houston and many other groups. And we're just paying it forward. This is really one um, national fight and we're not going to stop. We, we have to make sure that this movement is sustained and sustainable. Um, Strong Towns is playing a valuable role in this as well. And we're so grateful that you've, you've highlighted this issue and elevated it as one of your core campaigns. So altogether, we're turning this around. And let me tell you, everyone likes to be a hero. When the DOTs start doing the right thing and they are celebrated for the, for the goodness and the benefits that those actions will bring, they will be the hero and they're going to love it. And we are just here to make them the hero. So come on, yeah. state DOTs. You can do the right thing. Let's cheer them on when they do. Um, Bobby, I, I know you've been chatting with the people in Houston. 
Um, I know that there's a legal angle here and there's a community of people from a legal standpoint that are starting to look at this. If there's other uh, lawyers out there, if there's other people who are pondering legal action in their state, what would you recommend they get? How would you recommend they get started with that? I think uh, the the best thing to do is kind of to, to read what has already been filed. Um, I think there was a there was a lot of work that I was able to benefit from in reading what forty five with the advocates there they were able to to file file in Houston, um, and that really kind of kickstarted us and helped us act faster. So I think as long as we're just communicating with each other, we're working together, we can start advancing this fall and truly save the next generations from these mistakes that have been happening for the last 60 years. Give, give the name of your organization again and how yeah, sure. can uh, get a hold of you. I'm an attorney with Save Our Springs Alliance. It's a local environmental nonprofit that has a legal arm. It's uh, sosalliance.org. I think the best way to get a hold of me would be actually just go to our Instagram, Save Our Springs, and just, just find me there and just DM me there. If you are not following Rethink35 on Twitter, on you're on Facebook too, right? But I know you're on Instagram. Well, I think we're on on most things. You're everywhere. If <laughs> if you're not following them, you're you're missing out. You're missing out on a masterclass in advocacy and in mobilizing a community. So it is my pleasure to be able to highlight what you're doing, to share it with others, and really do this as a way to inspire others because you are you're doing amazing amazing work, and I. I hope you're very successful. I'm I'm planning to get down. I mean, I know I'm going to be in San Antonio later this month, but I think later this year I'm going to be back in in Austin, and I hope I can help push on this a little bit more because you all are are doing some of the best work in the country right now. Thank you so much. Thank you. We appreciate you. Hey, thanks for taking the time. Thanks everybody for listening, and keep doing what you can to build a strong town and end highway expansions in your city. Take care, everybody. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's a story. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Who made the city? I like you. I like your vision of the of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit, Agenda 21. Yeah.